Creativity is the subject of this podcast, but we haven't even defined it after 20 interviews. From a secular standpoint, let me take a stab at it. The traditional psychological definition of creativity includes two parts, originality and functionality. That means the creative thing has not been done before and it has a usefulness or it works. Some people might say, why does it have to be useful? And how do we know in this vast world that it hasn't been done before? Good questions. However, with that definition, I am quoting or paraphrasing the American Psychological Association. But it pales compared to the subject today. Creativity by the only real creator. And you can think of all of those words as capitalized. Our guest today and I'm very pleased to say this, is the pastor of the church I attend, Dr. Curtis Hill, and that I belong to, I should say. We are going to get to know him first and then discuss God the Creator and creativity in ministry. Stay tuned. Dr. Curtis Hill began as senior pastor at Brainerd Baptist Church in January of this year. Welcome to the podcast, Pastor Curtis. Uh, thank you, Barbara. I appreciate the opportunity to share. And I'm just so excited about this conversation. Although Pastor Curtis is now senior pastor at Brainerd, it's not the first time he has been on staff there. Tell us about your college and early seminary and your coming to Brainerd Baptist Church the first time. Sure. I graduated college. I uh, went to Pensacola Christian College and then graduated um, was looking at that point to get a master of divinity and i came to chattanooga temple baptist seminary it was located in chattanooga tennessee at that time and so i came here to do my grad school to do seminary here and shortly after i moved to chattanooga is when i came to brainerd baptist church the first time so that was summer of 1999 and i ended up coming and attending at first got an offer to be a church intern so Think about that as like any and all duties as assigned by the pastor. And so I got to do um, really get firsthand exposure to local church life while I was doing seminary, which was extremely helpful and got to meet uh, a ton of really good people and uh, ended up like when I graduated seminary, went on full-time staff at Brainerd Baptist Church as an assistant to the pastor and eventually um, became an associate pastor in, in my time here. So that's um, and I, I served from 99 to 07, really on staff before um, before moving to uh, take a pastorate in Delaware. Right. Um, I started attending and joined in 2003. So you were yeah. here then when it happened yeah. and you were uh, very young. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What were your um, you say other duties as it signed? What as you became more of an associate pastor, what were those duties focused in? Yeah, I actually had uh, opportunity to be involved in a lot of different areas of church. So one of those was senior adults. So I was very young, but I also, um, a lot of my time was visiting even homebound people that couldn't go to church, a lot of hospital visits. Um, I did have some role in helping out with our outreach. So a lot of visitors come to Brainerd Baptist Church. It's a regional church, so lots of people come. So I had a responsibility of like coordinating our outreach and, and welcoming visitors then eventually began to have um, increased role in administrative support and uh, leading some of our staff, leading some meetings, 
dealing with uh, personnel budget. So all that was good. And then the other kind of piece of training was I taught it on Wednesday nights to our yes. kind of Wednesday night prayer meeting. And so I had a good number, which develops a lot of pastoral skills of looking at the same audience. And you can't tell the same stories every week and you had to have new material and fresh material every week. So um, yeah, it was just a whole kind of wide range of responsibilities, work some with our kids, some with our college. So it just was kind of a full range of pastoral responsibilities here before. Okay. So it would have taken a lot of effort on your part, of course, um, but it also would have been very meaningful and, you know, really prepared you for when you went to the church in Delaware. So uh, what happened there? Yeah, it definitely prepared me. And I think it gave me, probably did two things. It gave me kind of the administrative and just the church side. I hate to use the word professional, but it, it still is a, it is a pref- profession. So the profession side of it, um, it was definitely helpful there. The calling side of it, where you're working with people, you're invested in people's lives, you know, their story, you're walking with them through good times and hard times, life-changing times. So I think both those things coincided and you're teaching every week. And I think the difference with the senior pastor is like one of the differences you're, you're leading and preaching most Sundays. And so I think that was probably a shift by the time I went to Delaware is um, probably more invested in all the areas of the church, um, seeing how they work together, but also teaching every week. And, but uh, yeah, those, those, the training here at Brainerd certainly prepared me well to, to lead in Delaware. And it was a little bit smaller of an environment in Delaware, but uh, I think being a part of a pretty good sized church was helpful in, in being ready for that, ready for those responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine having myself, I grew up in Maryland and okay. uh, the, going to a church in Delaware from Chattanooga and you had been in Pensacola and you had, you're from Oklahoma, right? I was born in Oklahoma and raised in Augusta, Georgia. Oh, okay. So that would have been a little bit of a culture shock, maybe? Go to Delaware? It was. It was. And it was, I think we had, um, I think at that point in time, my wife grew up in Pennsylvania, so it was less so for her. Okay. Uh, but I had only known the Southeast. And um, yeah, I mean, even just Baptist churches, there were, I think there are 100 Southern Baptist churches in Hamilton County versus uh, about 25 in the state of Delaware. So I think just those kind of um, didn't drive see a church on every corner a little bit more, um, let's say secular, fewer people attending church. So it those kinds of things, I think Northeast is known for being a little bit more blunt. And so I think just dealing with some of those things that um, not hearing the accents and all, all this kind of the Southern accent. So, I mean, there were, there were some of those things that were different. And um, again, the, the evangelical uh population is just so much smaller in, in the Northeast. So um, yeah, that there were, there, it was a learning curve for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned, I believe when you came for your um, visits here uh, for the interview that you worked with the university students, it, your church was near the university. Yeah. Yeah. It was near university of Delaware and Delaware's got 20 to 22,000 students. So I mean, it's a good, good size school. Um, and our church is about three or four miles. And before I came, there was a, a continual outreach to the University of Delaware. So we were able to build on the foundation, a really good foundation that was there. But I'd say any given Sunday, there were 50, 60, 70 University of Delaware students in our congregation. And um, 
really from all different religious backgrounds and irreligious backgrounds. So that was, um, it was neat getting to meet those students. And um, I'd say once a week, maybe once every other week, I was on campus meeting with students. So it, it was a, it's just a very important part of the church that I was at. Mm-hmm. What did you do anything with them, like uh, apologetics work or um, sort of more seeker sensitive stuff, <laughs> as they used to call it? Yeah, I think some of that was done in the campus ministry. I think mm-hmm. where I saw my role um, is to help them appreciate like campus ministries will end at some point. They kind of have it. You know, you graduate college and you don't have campus right. ministry. Right. I I think I felt a strong calling and, and still do to help a college student realize they're not the church of tomorrow. They could be the church of today. They and to take them seriously and uh, take their needs and their, their concerns, their questions. So I think probably less apologetic seminars, more one to one conversation, but just helping them see like they have a place today in the church. Like so. Right. A lot of people joining our church were college members, and we would encourage that. Uh, like, why don't you get used to what it means to be a part of a, um, a local community of believers? And so that that was a neat opportunity. From my experience with campus ministry, that that's not un, uncommon. Um, yeah. Here at Dalton State, we have sort of an opposite problem, though, because we're a commuter campus. Right. And I've worked with the Baptist Collegiate Ministries for, oh, my 15, 20, 15, 16 years. And we're kind of on a hiatus right now because COVID just decimated campus programs and such. But uh, we have a different thing that the students are, if they are bent naturally towards church involvement, they're already so involved in their church that they don't really have time for having a job and going to college and working with the BCM. So we, yeah. it kind of goes the other way, but yeah. we're trying to, um, you know, the Lord has put it on my heart to, to gather some young people who've expressed interest to try to rebuild it. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's difficult though, because there's a general lack of engagement in, in, in across a lot of things of, with if folks, and I, I'm sure you know this with, there's just engagement in general, <laughs> you know, and you kind of touched on that uh, somewhat in your, your sermon yesterday, which I want to get to, because when I first wrote this script, I'm just going to say this out loud. When I first wrote, uh, you know, what we would talk about, um, I hadn't thought about anything you might've said in the pulpit. And I was like, oh, yesterday was so good. I want to talk okay. about some of his okay. things that were sure. said there. So I kind of have the the pastor to talk to here. Um, so th- yeah, that's fascinating. I would think that the going to Delaware would be different. Delaware is a tiny state though. I mean, Maryland's little, but Delaware's, you can drive through it in a couple hours, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's one sliver of it that you can drive through in 15 minutes from east yeah. to west and that north to south is about an hour and a half. So yeah, three yeah. counties, it's a very different, yeah, it's a different kind of state. Little bitty. Rhode Island is that way too. Very similar. Um, yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of funny for folks. Like, you know, we're used to down here. Um, so you you were in um, in the church in Delaware. That was Overton. It's called Ogletown Baptist. Ogletown. I'm so sorry. I'll get that no out of there. Yeah. Um, so somewhere in there, you got your doctorate. I did. I actually got my doctorate when I before I left Chattanooga. I oh, OK. And then actually walked while I was in Delaware. But um 
the majority of it was completed when I was in Chattanooga. I got it in uh, preaching, in expositional preaching, so um, and got it through Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. Okay. Um, who were some of your professors there? I'm always interested in these kinds of questions. Yeah. Um, my favorite by far was uh, Daniel Block. He was the Old Testament professor and um, gave me a lot for the Old Testament that uh, a deep, deep love. I also had Herschel York for several classes, um, kind of the preaching, preaching side of things. And then another professor for New Testament and preaching in the New Testament was Brian Vickers. So those, those were some of the main ones that I had. Mm-hmm. Okay. So moving to the the uh, questions more about the, the creative side of what this podcast is supposed to be about. And sometimes we get off of far afield. What does it mean that God is creator? I don't know if that's a good question, but I'll it put is, it out there. Yeah, I think the, the way I see this is um, first and foremost, that is um, the God, the sovereign ruler of everything made something out of nothing. That's pretty much what Christian um, Christian teaching has been, uh, is he made something out of nothing big. And you can widen that out, big things um, that we use, yeah, that, that we have, use a telescope to see, and then small things that we have a microscope to see and everything in between. He made everything. But I think also I would want to add as, as a creator, he also created, um, created some things with the capacity to generate and, and create other things. So, mm-hmm. um, so in that he made all things, he also made people who could make people, he made people who could, uh, develop things. And I think part of that is embedded even in that Genesis one of he created, he made man in his own image, but he made them to rule or exercise dominion, which I think is not just that. I, I think that's also developmental and creativity. Is mm-hmm. it invested in that? All, all bring glory to himself. But yeah, that, those are some of the, I think, key components of who God is as a creator. Uh-huh. And that's that's interesting. I had, um, I don't think I've ever heard it put that way because, um, you know, God's creativity is, and his creative action is unique. And some, you know, some theologians take a different view. They might say that, you know, uh, he continues to create. It didn't necessarily end on Sunday. Right, right. <laughs> you know, as uh, as we, we would think on the seventh day, um, that it is ongoing. And then they take different um, maybe interpretations of that. But that him being the unique creator the the real creator i i've often struggled with whether we as humans are creators or whether we're just remixers <laughs> yeah. whether we're just yeah. like t- you know like a song pers- a singer might do a cover of a certain song but they didn't write the song they're just doing a whole different interpretation and i'm is is there really such a thing as human creativity yeah, I, I appreciate the distinction there. I think as long as you can maintain a distinction of the way God creates any, any way we're going to speak of humans creating, because we don't, we don't have our own material that we're bringing, you know, we didn't create something out of nothing. As long as you make that distinction, I really don't have any issue with looking at humans as creators or, um, but obviously we create in a different way. We take <laughs> what we have and we, I would say we, develop, we collate, we organize all those things, which seem, um, 
different than what God has done, Mm -hmm. but still, I I think would lean toward that, the generative kind of activity of creating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we take, it's not ex nihilo, although some people think it is. (laughs) They think it just comes out of your brain. Uh, You, if you're creating something, whether it's art or something of another type, and you, um, that it's, but what it, what human creativity is is taking what is already there sound color uh shape uh yeah experience and I would whatever even, yeah yeah and i would even go into the realm of um a couple of, i mean Brainerd as well as a church i pastored in delaware had a good number of scientists and so um, mm-hmm. there are a lot of molecular biologists that, I mean, they're looking at and chemical engineers and they're looking at compounds and asking questions of if we combine this, if we add this, if we put this under this and all that is like, to me, uh, a huge realm of creativity where the laws of the universe are the same. They're God gave those, he laid those down in a certain way, but within those laws of the universe, you know, there's architecture and there's science. I mean, there's all kinds of different things, mathematics to solve different things mm-hmm. and think creatively, make new compounds and, you know, make, bring these notes on this scale together in new ways and in fresh ways where I, yeah, I, I, I love that thought. Mm-hmm. And I think some, sometimes we might think that, well, we're going to reach a point where we can't, we can't do it that anymore, that it will all have been created. It will all have been written. It will all have been sung. And, and, you know, I, I don't know, in eternity might, we, we might still be doing those things. You know, why not? I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think part of, I don't know, part of what it seems to be uh, human is to enjoy the new things and the fresh things and taking something old and making it new, remixing. I, I, there is an element of new heavens and new earth that whatever it seems like, nobody seems to work. You know, it doesn't seem like that's going to be a part of that is there's always something even developing. And the Garden of Eden, as perfect as it was, Adam was put in there to, it says to work it mm-hmm. and to keep it. So I think that keeping is a protective element, but working to me is the development of it. So, um, yeah, I, I think new heavens and new earth, there's, there's not so much protecting because I feel like, you know, evil's been eliminated, but I think right. that working and developing, I, I don't know. I, the Bible doesn't mm-hmm. speak to that, but I could certainly envision that being a beautiful part of what it, what mm-hmm. happened is. Maybe our perception of what perfection is, is maybe, uh, well, I know it's not right because, <laughs> because we, we tend to see it in very um, kind of superficial terms, I think, perfection. But uh, perfection doesn't mean that growth is not possible either. Yeah, so, that's right. Um, yeah, I one thing I do in, in this podcast I and mean, in my own thinking and teaching is that I don't like to think of creativity as something that's just the arts. You know, it is, yeah. but it's not. I mean, it is in science. It is in entrepreneurship. It is in yeah. it is in ministry. It is in relationships. One of the people I interviewed for this was a mom whose son was is, is um, on the autism spectrum. How did she use creativity for, you know, raising him? So she and her husband. So um Every week, you must prepare at least one sermon, right? <laughs> do you right. do more yeah. than do you do more than one? Uh, occasionally, there are some other things. Like I spoke at a Christian school chapel, did a graduation. Yeah. So, okay. But as far as like kind of pure sermon, pure message, uh, just generally one a week. 
Okay. So I know from what you said about your doctor, you have studied hermeneutics and homiletics. And so in which case we don't normally think of being creative as the primary goal, but faithfully teaching the truth of scripture and touching the hearers, hearts and minds and being uh, for a spiritual outcome and being yourself uh, responsive to the Holy Spirit as all this is going on. So I'm as someone who teaches public communication, uh, I've always been interested in how homiletics as the study of preaching and the practice of preaching does include creativity. And I think you're the perfect person to say what that is. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I appreciate that question. I, I do agree. I think there's. Um, so a, a few things come to mind. I think the. um structure of the sermon. I mean, there's the jokes of three points in a poem, right? But yeah. I do. Um, I think you can structure sermons in different ways and I think they need to be structured in different ways because there's different, you read a story of the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, a story is going to be different than a letter that Paul wrote, which is going to be different than um, Leviticus, which is kind of a, a legal code and documents of like, how, how are things going to be how society going to operate and what festivals and sacrifices are going to be. So I think the sermon, I think there's a lot of different ways a sermon could be organized. You could have like, um, you could have three points. You could have a kind of a running story with one big point at the end. You could have point application. You know, I, I just think there's, there's a lot of imagination and creativity that can go into it not sounding the same up point one, point two, point three. Mm-hmm. And so I think a, a big burden of mine is that um, that you feel what the text, you're not just reading the words of the text, you're also feeling the emphasis of the text and, and sometimes even the style with which it's written. And I think there's, um, even within, the, let's say the points, you have three points. Are they going to be parallel? Are they going to be questions? Are they going to be sentences? Are they going to be one word? Are they... Are they going to rhyme? Are they going to be alliterated? Are they, I, I think all those things, what will help your hearer process all those things. Right. So that that's another point of creativity. I, I also think within the sermon, you have points of application, which man, I mean, you could ask an application for a 15 year old that doesn't want to be at church that I, I still want to speak to that 15 year old that doesn't want to be at church, but I, I want to have something interesting because I believe God's word could change their lives. Um, the 70 year old who uh, is there, the person who this is their one of their primary social interactions of the entire week. They work from home, maybe they live alone. So I think all those are, those are, that's a wide range of applications and potential opportunities. And yeah, I mean, I could go on that on. Um, I think of the, how you draw attention, how you hold attention. Are you going to are you going to use statistics, a provocative question? Are you going to tell a story? Is it going to be a personal story? Is it going to be a story you read online? Is it is that an analogy from nature? So I think there's there's just a lot of different different avenues that you can bring to try to communicate God's mm-hmm. unchanging word in in a context where hearers will hear it and maybe hold their attention or get their attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. You said two things there. One was about the help the hearer process um, the truths that are in the scripture. And and so, you know, three points in a poem, 
always to me was, I guess, kind of artificial. I mean, that's the it's kind of, a, you know, meant to be humorous, but the because the, the text may not have three points, it may have some, you know, it has a whole other structure depending on what it was, what it was written or the genre or whatever. And um, so sometimes it, I felt like maybe preachers wanted to get that three there when maybe there were only two and it was, that would right. be okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we're in love with three points, but it's, it's not always the case. Um, and then you talked about, I hadn't, I really hadn't thought about this, the diversity of an audience, you know, I mean, because you have to keep that in mind so much. So there's so much, you know, going on in the text. There's so much that is related to, just the basic structure of how we communicate so that people can process. And then, like you said, the attention, meeting the needs of the 15-year-old versus the elderly person, you know, and I'm on the 70-year-old side more than the 15-year-old. But uh, because the individual people who are sitting there are really not thinking about the 15-year-old or the 70-year-old. They're thinking, for better or worse, about, about me. You know, that's right. But you can't do that. So, yeah. And I think it that just requires, I think, trying to empathize with where people are mm-hmm. and listen to them in conversations. And then I don't know. I'm sure I picked it up along the way. It's you kind of picture what is what is the text saying? But there's another place that I think you have to get to in preaching as the kind of so what. Uh, so you have what, but so what? Why? does this matter? And I think another thing I learned that that's in this discussion of creativity, it is just really, it's easy to just get an outline, but I think you're trying to get handholds on the, on the material that if I get, if I can get a good phrase or a sentence that helps sum up something that actually, if I'm covering 30 verses, no one's going to remember all 30, but they re- may remember two or three handholds that, okay, they can get a grip on that and process that information mm-hmm. through that, that, you know, two or three words put together gives them a window into something. So I, again, that's, it takes creativity and that takes some trial and error. That takes like, does this structure work uh, or do I need to combine? Do I need to do instead of four points, do I need to make it two big ones? Do I, you know, um, how, how can I bury it up? How do I, um, move from abstract to concrete and where someone really does feel like, Oh, this, this actually speaks to my situation. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, all those dynamics are going in to trying to share something and you have about 30 to 35 minutes to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're some people. For an hour. Yeah, that's right. yeah. <laughs> we won't talk about that <laughs> because they're still great. Um, yeah. So yesterday I'm going to I'm going to kind of pick your brain on this one. Yesterday, I took a lot of notes. Nobody could read them but me. But that's another issue. And um, and it wasn't just because I knew I'd be talking to you today. I was interested so much in how you approach the text of Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, which uh, is very complex, very rich. As you said uh, last week, I believe it's one huge sentence in the original Greeks. Yeah. A 200 word sentence. Yeah. A 200 word sentence. No. Okay. All you English students don't do that <laughs> or listening. I've yeah. fussed at my students all the time for, for 60, 70 word sentences. 
And you kind of had, and, and this was my perception of it. I don't even know if this was in yours. And this is where the creativity of the hearers and it comes into the to the speaker. Um, you had a kind of a metaphor of construction because you brought out that there were three pillars of the text in the context and you tied it to something we're all very aware of in society right now, even if we're not experiencing ourselves. And that's the, I don't know, the anxiety epidemic, it seems like, you know, that we're hearing so much about. And um, so comments on that. Yeah, I think a few things. So it started for me when I'm reading, especially the 11 to 14 is my, was my main focus. Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. I was reading the security that was meant to provide that God had done this thing that we were sealed, which has this idea of um, security. And then there's a guarantee, a down payment, like this is going to happen. Redemption is going to happen. That idea of security, stability, safety. I think that's where I moved into the the building metaphors, the pillars that, okay, what are some things that if the foundation or the pillars are in place, that will give some security. And I think I read two articles in that week and last week of the anxiety epidemic and how, you know, how people are anxious. And these were non-Christian articles that were just, so I'm reading it in secular media. I'm reading in sports people saying, you know, here's a prime athlete making millions of dollars saying, you know, dealing with anxiety. And hmm. But then also having conversations with some grandparents, I'm like, I, I just dread, yeah, I hate, I hate the world that my kids are being, you know, my kids and grandkids are going to grow up and what is it going to look like? So I think trying to, hearing that for me juxtaposed with the security and stability that that text, I think that Paul was trying to say to them that that was kind of the the reason for the pillars or like, okay, we can build something on this. It can mm-hmm. hold the weight in a way that hold the weight of some of our anxiety um, in a way that, that I think God intends for it to hold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we could have a fascinating discussion about this anxiety uh, epidemic. I, um, you know, and, and the things I've read from secular sources as well as, as uh, Christian ones, it's, you know, is it social media? Is it the phones? Is it, that there's too much information about the world out there for everybody. Is it COVID? Is it this? Is it that? You know, it's, uh, I mean, I don't think there's one answer, but it does seem to be for especially young people, just overwhelming. I just an overwhelming problem. My students talk about it all the time and, and how anxious they are and their depression. And I, and I, as an older person, I'm like, Sometimes you got a roof over your head and plenty to eat. What are you so worried about? And that's totally without empathy. And I understand that. Right. And, you know, because I want to understand why they're having this, these, these, uh, this anxiety for, because I want to address it spiritually to the extent that I can. And what I thought was so cool yesterday, not, it was all cool, but what I really liked was your slide of the Temple of Taiki. Yeah. And and the um and that the um Taiki was the goddess of luck and randomness is sort of what I thought of. You yeah. know, it just it happens, it happens and you know, she just be nice to her and she might give you some luck and whatever. And yeah. um 
versus the contrast with the the predestination of God and the um, the sealing of the the Holy Spirit and the the stability of that. You know, so we are going back to that that building that construction metaphor as well because you show the picture of that temple which is still standing. <laughs> they knew how it to build things. Standing. I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. You know, they really knew how to build buildings back then. So they did. Yeah. Um, I, and I came across that in a commentary and it was really even in a footnote that said um, this would have been, you know, kind of it just gave a little footnote. Uh, this would there the goddess of Taiki would have been in Ephesus. And so all these references to God's providence, you know, would have would have been pretty stark there. Right. But didn't make much of it. But I thought that this would be a helpful way to conclude. Again, it's it was very, very dense. The passage is very dense, every preposition, every pronoun. So yes. I felt like it was a way, okay, we're gonna come up from for here from error. I haven't I haven't really ended with a picture like that. And so I felt like that at the end, even just the visual, being able to see that picture up on the screen is probably gonna draw people's attention. Mm-hmm. And then it may be a way to kind of do the opposite to say, here's what it looks like if you don't have a God who is in control, who is personal, who has something better for you. Here's here's the exact opposite. And for me, it was just beautiful that like that literally mm-hmm. was in Ephesus. Yeah. So right. I think mm-hmm. if that had been in you know, Corinth, that would have been probably useful. But the fact that it that statue, like you go to ancient Ephesus and see it today, like, man, that connection was too strong to, um, I, I just felt like that will be a way of going. We don't have that, you know, that if you had to live your life with chance and fortune and just hoping good luck, good vibes, positive energy, um, <laughs> that seems like that, this is where I do feel like the Christian message is not only true, but it, it is uh, desirable. It's, it's good. It's beautiful versus just it's again, I believe it's true. But in this case, it's even so much better than what that stone statue would offer. And I thought mm-hmm. visualizing, I could have talked about it, but I, I did think like seeing the image and letting it just sit up there and going, mm-hmm. really, that's it. We just humans have made a statue and assigned it with meaning. And it still doesn't get us down the road. We're still just hoping we're lucky. So mm-hmm. I felt like that would be. Uh, maybe even unforgettable, you know, obviously in a month yeah. people might forget it, but I, I did feel like it'd be something that would linger with you for a little while. Well, I liked how you tied into Eutychus's name and, or, yeah. uh, and, uh, Tychicus. I could, I can see it, but I'm not saying it right. Um, you know, that it would have been just part of their lives. It would have been the worldview from which they were coming. And that's why Paul had to, write that so uh, richly and so densely to help them to see the the extreme difference between that and what was going on, the, you know, theologically and his yeah. world, his create his creation order. So. And one thing I would say, Barbara, on that too, just tying it back to the creativity, I think I go back to um, how much background are you going to use? You know, how? Yes. Yeah. And. and Again, you can't unload every bit of background on Ephesus every single week, but it felt like this would be a pretty strategic use of mm-hmm. ancient Ephesus. And we'll probably do it a few more times because I, I think it will come up a few more times. But like, but this seemed like a prime time to 
draw attention, use that background in a way that help people connect dots uh, with current relevance. Yeah. And that's a uh, that's a very big question, too, because I love history. I could study the cultural history stuff all day. And a lot of times I kind of get in a, a hole with it when I'm studying for my life group class. And then I say, OK, this is great, Barbara, but this is not where people live. They're they're not into this like you are. <laughs> so don't spend too much time on this. Let's bring it back to, OK, how is this like what's on TV right now? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's that's the creative. Again, the creative side in the arts would be you begin to carve things off. You begin to uh-huh. kind of shape things in. And I feel like the creative side in speaking is it really is that last 10 percent to me mm-hmm. that actually probably is 50 percent worth of importance. So like, what am I not going to say? How am I going to simplify this? How am I going to um, get it tight where uh, people have, uh, you know, a very short attention span will be able to lean in and listen. Um, mm-hmm. There's, there are creative choices of like, okay, I will go down. I, you know, I've researched an hour on that and I'm not going to use that portion because I think this other portion may be more help, help the big message stick mm-hmm. and, and not get lost in this extraneous detail that may be very interesting, fascinating, but isn't necessarily right to the heart of what I, what I want to emphasize. Would it be appropriate for me to ask you how much you study and prepare for your sermon during the week? Sure. I think I try to put in before I start, like I'm preaching through a book of the Bible right now with Ephesians. I think before I do that, there are probably, I don't know, 10 to 20 hours of study for the overall series. So Mm -hmm. Lord willing, my next one's going to be Exodus. So I'm already even now reading through Exodus, reading the background material. So that just deepens the well. Week by week, I would say it probably ranges anywhere from eight to 12 hours on on one message <laughs> is any given week. And that's dispersed over time. Over, mm-hmm. over Well, that's that's so relevant because um, people often in any endeavor, those who don't do it, don't know how much time it takes, <laughs> yeah. you know, whether it's writing well, or to, music or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I try to tell people it's like a 10 to 12 page research paper, fresh material every week. Yeah. So that that at least is kind of the, the corollary to what I would do in academic. I'm like a 12 page paper, again, fresh material. Mm-hmm. So that that just takes a certain amount of time and you're mm-hmm. delivering it orally. So then yes, there's that. You have to practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So in what other ways Do you see uh, creativity fitting into ministry that you might do or someone else would be doing in the church? It's a good question. I think one way is just dealing with people, pastoral care with people because people are different. And so you may have go-to questions like a counselor would have some go-to questions that may help someone talk, but there's a creative realm of like, which questions are you going to pursue? Um, how are you going to care what, if there are strategies for help or or ways, you know, meeting structures, even follow up or potential solutions to help. So that would be, I think, on the counseling side. But I think you want to have a lot of different approaches because people are so different. And so what may help one person unload and get something off their chest is very, very different than 
uh, another person. So mm. what questions are you going to use to draw them out? Well, you may have a hundred of those in your tool belt and the creative choice is like, which of the five are you going to use to begin drawing people out? So mm -hmm. I definitely think of it in that way. The other, the other thing that involves a lot of creativity, I, I do think like ministry strategies, um, there's, I heard an analogy that's really helpful to me and that is, um, it's the analogy of a trellis. So I think of ministry as a trellis. The point is never the trellis. The point is like what grows on the trellis, like that pretty rose bush or the pretty plant or trellises can come and go. But so then you get creative and like what trellis is best going to serve that vine or that plant growing? And where do I put it and where do I locate it? And where do I, you know, adjust and move it? Because the point is never. So I think that with ministries, which activities, which programs, which Bible. We'll study. It's going to be lectures. It's going to be a seminar. Is it going to be helping equipping parents? If you're going to do parents, what what are you going to equip them doing? If it's going to be singles, what are you going to help them? So I think that involves creativity. It's not just a template boilerplate that you're just going to throw on a church and do mm -hmm. one size. Yeah. Here's the program yeah. we're going to operate. It's like times change, people change, needs and perceptions of needs change. So I feel like creativity means like what will meet a need right now at this particular place, not Dallas, Texas or Columbus, Ohio, but yeah. this particular bot, these particular people who are asking these particular questions. Um, and that, that changes. And I think you gotta be open to that change, but that involves, I think getting some creativity of like, okay, what, how best can we do this in a way that's actually effective, not just checking a box that we ran a program for yeah. activity. Um, so in regard to that, um, how would you, uh, go about to build your own creativity or maybe, you know, make those decisions? Is it, do you see it mostly as a study thing or is it a relational thing? Yeah, I think I'm trying. So to build that, I, I listen to podcasts. I mean, some of them are in management and in art. Some of them are in sports. Some of them are in media. And I think it just kind of widens out and some mm -hmm. are in theology and some are in ministry. I think that helps widen out the scope of, because um, some of those fields have, all, you can apply a lot of things in a sermon in, in, in the Bible. Uh -huh. So I think that helps. I, I do read, but but it also is relational. I think the more you talk to people, you get an idea of how, how do they process the world, which may be different so that when I speak, I'm not just thinking of how I process the world, but I also recognize this person could be totally different on a personality meter than, no. than I am. And um, I find that pretty helpful. So relationally, just asking, having lots of conversations, what do people do? What, what does their life look like? What does the day-to-day -day look like? What, what are their values? Um, so I think that that's part of it. And I, I have found at times too, investing in some hobbies. Um, so I like music and I like um, sports. I like running. I like some of those things where, you dig deeper into a field and you just see how nuanced that field is, which oh, yes. the whole world's like that, you know, uh -huh. that one little hobby that you didn't give seconds of thought, there are whole journals and magazines and whole tribe that heats up and geeks out on a, one element of that hobby. So uh -huh. Those are pretty fascinating to me when you get into a whole tribe that you go like, I never even knew that world was out there. And right. So the, and I feel like every five to 10 years or something, maybe that's just life, you'd find something new like that that's pretty fascinating. 
I I agree with you so much there because that the the ability for people to come up with that and more more things more depth more nuances more examples of things never ceases to amaze me. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Even when you go to um go to buy paint for your house. <laughs> yeah. All the- all the colors and the names of the paint, you know, that's just a tiny example, but it's, it's just, you know, a little bit of the whole thing. So let's talk about your reading. I know you're an active reader and I want, I love to know what people are reading. So I can add it to my list. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think exactly what I'm reading right now. I've got, again, something going for my next sermon series. Um, mm-hmm. It's a book in Exodus. Um, so that's, that's kind of a book going um i'm reading a book about pastoral ministry right now i i also am reading a book on theology the theology of being united with christ so that really has no bearing and actually it's a pretty deep technical book but it keeps some of those technical skills sharp in theology and doesn't necessarily have any bearing on what i'm preaching but i have found things like that have a formative effect down the road um i got i read a book telling the history of the 1989 and 1990 uh, Detroit Pistons teams, uh, basketball teams. So there's some fun reading. Uh, I I do like reading biographies and um, those I find pretty interesting. Some history things, it just, it varies. But those are, Mm -hmm. that's some of what I've got going on right now. Okay. Who was on that Pistons team? Was that um, Isaiah Thomas? It was Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, Bill Lambier, uh, Vinnie Johnson, James Edwards. It was my favorite basketball team of all time. Okay. I loved it. <laughs> okay. But it was very, it was interesting too, because it was pretty dysfunctional in lots of ways. So it was uh, on the creative side of like, so this is interesting of how a coach and how a general manager built a team. Because I think one of the things I do as a senior pastor is I lead a team. And so mm-hmm. what what motivates and how does that, how do the team dynamics and organizational dynamics, so it's some interest there, but it's all more interests of just uh, backstories of what's going on, what was going on. I was just watching games, but a lot was going on in between those games. Oh, yes. <laughs> a lot of drama. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for spending time with us today. Uh, Dr. Curtis Hill, Senior Pastor of Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga. I know you're a, a busy guy. <laughs> and you um, have a lot going on. And so I greatly appreciate this. And I hope that a lot of people listen to this podcast because I think it will deeply enrich their lives. For those wondering, uh, Ch- uh, Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga is on Brookfield Avenue, sort of off of um, Belvoir. And it is easily accessible off of I-24 on the Belvoir Avenue exit. In the wintertime, you can see it steeple. Not too sure about the summertime. So we invite you to um, go to our website and check us out and please visit us. So again, thank you very much, Dr. Hill, for your discussion. You're very welcome. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit more about creativity and ministry and preaching. Thank you for the questions. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye.